Hello, Molo, Saubona, Jumbo, and welcome to Every Nation Durban. We are part of a global family of churches with the purpose to honor God by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible churches and campus ministries in every nation. You can find us in big cities like London, New York, Paris, and Joburg. You can also find us in nations like Bangladesh, Botswana, China, and even Hawaii. In Durban, we have a local vision of being a healthy church that starts other healthy churches. Our mission is reach, disciple, impact. We want to reach every person, every campus, and every nation. Join this mission to honor God and advance His kingdom. Good morning, church. Yes, my name is Ntlibi. I'm husband of one. Yeah, it's important to know nowadays that you emphasize that. I'm father of one. Though sometimes it feels like two. My daughter is so energetic that Asipe will tell you she's, she's a ball of fire. But she brings so much joy to us, it's, it's something. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've been, as, as, as Mfundisi said, I've been in this church for, for a number of years now. I walked in through the doors in my first year of university 22, 23 years ago. And by God's grace, I've been here. So, yeah, thank you Mfundisi for that introduction. So today, what are we going to be doing? I'm going to be talking on Defined By. So we are carrying on with our series of Defined By. Um, the, first, uh, the first session that we did, Uzbo took us in, and he talked to us about, how, about Defined By Love and Faith and Kindness. And then later on, he talked to us about Faithfulness, and then last week, Uzbo, Usandila was here talking to us about um, being defined by joy. So what what Usandila said last week was basically that if we are to grow in joy, we need to begin with an end in mind. And he said from Hebrews 12, it said of Christ, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So it means that if we are going to have joy in our lives, we need to begin with an end in mind. And when we begin with an end in mind, it means that we get to a place where whatever challenges we face, we will endure and will overcome because we know that at the end of the day, we are winners. So joy is not just a matter of being happy because the circumstances are good. Joy is that kind of thing where it's level whether the circumstances are great or the circumstances are not so good. So basically, he taught us that joy is keeping a positive disposition irrespective of the situation that we find ourselves in. Where we know that Christ is in control, even though the situation around me may be falling apart. So today we're going to be looking at the next uh, fruit of the Spirit, which is peace and patience. 
So we're going to be looking at how to be defined by peace and patience. And these fruits are found in Galatians 5, 22 to 23. From the ESV it reads as follows. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So now the question for us is, we have looked at love and kindness, we have looked at faithfulness, we have looked at joy, today we are looking at peace and patience. The question for us is, how are you doing in each of those fruits? If we are to say, take yourself and put yourself on a scale of 2 to 10, 2 being the lowest and 10 being I'm nailing this. Where would you where would you be? Better yet, you can rate yourself on that scale. Then the next thing that you do is you ask your closest friend if you are single. In this fruit, how am I doing? Because we can the self-deception is a very easy thing. I can think I'm really doing good. In this, I can think I'm really doing great as a husband, for example. Until I sit down with my wife and say, babe, how am I doing? And that becomes a different conversation altogether. If you are, if you're in courtship, ask your partner that you're in courtship with too. How am I doing in these fruits of the spirit that we have talked about already? And if you are married, sit down with your spouse and say, how am I doing in these fruits of the Spirit? So as, as we go through today's sermon, please have it at the back of your mind and ask yourself, when it comes to peace and patience, how am I doing? Let us pray. Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your mercy and your grace, Lord Jesus. We thank Heaven, Father, Lord God, for getting us here on this cold day. Even those who are online, also mighty God, we thank you for your grace for them. Tuning in, Heaven, Father, Lord God, to hear your truth, also mighty God. Father, I pray that your grace will be upon me to speak your truth, but not just speak the truth, but to speak it in love, also mighty God. And glory, also mighty God, even as I speak, Lord Jesus, may you teach me, also mighty God. May we all hear Heavenly Father, God, open our hearts to hear your truth and to see how we are called to implement this truth in our life. Father, we pray and ask and receive this. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Please raise your hand if you are familiar with the term. Form is temporary, but class is permanent. Form is temporary, but class is permanent. Most of the people who are actually raising hands are soccer fans. Because this is a term that is usually used by soccer commentators to say that this guy who's average, for the last couple of games or this game, he's playing at such a high form that he's playing so well that he's on form. But sooner or later we'll know that he will regress to their average playing style. But when you talk about class, we talk about those players who we may not like them, 
<laughs> we may not like them, but we acknowledge that this guy is good. It can be the Messi's of this world, it can be the Ronaldo's of this world. And they are so good that when it comes to them, we no longer even say their first names. We just say Ronaldo. Anybody knows who you're talking about. When we say Messi, some of us don't even know his first name. But it doesn't matter. It's because he's so good that we say that this guy is class. They play at such an elite level for so long that all of us can say this guy is good. And it can be any area of, of life. When it comes to tennis, when you talk about the Williams sisters, Serena and, and Venus, people know who you're talking about. When it comes to things like the movies, when you say Denzel Washington or Meryl Streep, people know who you're talking about. So the idea for us today is that we, we look at how not to be informed when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, but how to be classy when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit. Where we leave them so long and so well that when people look at us, they say that, I don't know Christ, but if what you are, what you are doing is, I've seen Christ in your life. So that's the heart, that's the heart of, of, of this series that we are doing. But before we define peace and patience and look at how to cultivate these behaviors in our lives, we need to look at how to grow in them. So please turn with me to Second Peter chapter two verse uh, sorry, Second Peter chapter one verse three. Second Peter chapter one verse three. It reads as follows, and this is from the NIV. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life. Remember earlier on I asked on a scale of 2 to 10. Normally when we rate these things we say from a scale of 1 to 10. The reason why I said from a scale of 2 to 10 is that when the Holy Spirit comes in our lives, when we get born again, God deposits Him into our lives. It means that when the Holy Spirit comes, He comes into our lives with the fruit of the Spirit in seed form. So we are not starting from one. We are not starting from nothing. We are starting from what already is. So then it means that for... That's why when you look at it in the, in the Passion Translation, it says that everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by His divine power. It's already there. So our responsibility then is to say, how do I grow in the fruit of the Spirit? How do I grow from a place of the seed being deposited in me? How do I develop this seed to get to a point where that it can find its fullest manifestation in me? If people are asking what is peace or what is patience, and somebody can say, you know how you want to see what these are. 
come, let me show you somebody who's living out this so that you can know what peace and patience are. And the Holy Spirit deposits this fruit in our lives when he comes. But not only that, he's the one who causes the fruit to grow. He's our coach. And like natural abilities, when we have natural abilities, like we were talking about soccer earlier on, Ronaldo and Messi have to be trained, have to be coached. Otherwise, the fullness of that gift of soccer will never find expression. When it comes to us as Christians, the Holy Spirit brings the gifts, but he also coaches us on how to use them. So it means that if we are going to express the godliness or these gifts of the Spirit in our lives, we've got to get to a place where we are submitted to the Holy Spirit. We can try with our natural strength to grow it. You might get to a three or a four or five maybe. But then eventually circumstances will come that will show you off and you regress back to a two. But when we live submitted to the Holy Spirit, he'll cause this fruit to grow in our lives. Uh, Priscilla Shara has this quote which will come up on the screen. She says that to the extent that we yield to the Spirit's control, that's the extent to which we'll begin to see his fruit flourish in our lives. God wants us to flourish in this fruit. So the heart of this series is basically that God wants us to recognize these abilities that have been deposited in us and then to grow in them. Why do we need to grow in them? Because there's two things that are at work in our lives and they're always fighting against each other. There's the flesh, then there's the spirit. In fact, when you look at Galatians 5, when Paul is talking about, before he introduced the, Holy, the fruit of the spirit, he then says, these are the works of the flesh. And then he goes to list a whole of them, a whole list of them. And he says that if we are to overcome these fruits of the flesh, we need to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. So it's a, it's a, it's a displacement principle. We need to drive out what is in us that is not of God, but we need to replace it with something else, which is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But the thing is, these fruits of the flesh as we know them, we've learned them from home, We've learned them from our culture. We've learned them, sometimes they manifest even as part of our personality. But God says they need to change. If you're going, if I'm going to use you to advance my kingdom on this earth, you need to change. So, end of the day, God wants us to be salt and light to the world. And to the extent that we manifest the fruit of the Spirit, it's to the extent that we're going to manifest His kingdom in the lives of the people around us. In a sense, God has called us to be ambassadors of reconciliation. And the fruit of the Spirit are the tools that He's going to use to bring others like He brought us to His kingdom into His kingdom as well. These fruits are behavior. These fruits form our character. 
So God wants us to take us to a place where our character is not righteous, to a place where we are Christ-like. And character has, it has, it has significance. Our mission is reach disciple impact. To the extent that we grow in godly character is to the extent that we are going to reach that mission. So when you're growing godly character, it not only has benefit for you as an individual, it has benefit for everyone in here. And it has benefit for everyone out there that we will meet. So, that's the purpose of this series. That's the heart behind this series for us to go in godly character. So today, as I said, we are talking about peace and patience. So we need to define what this um, fruits are. Because with, 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 with terms, I've, I've found out my wife is in is in academia and she's in drama and performance studies. So she's in that uh, field that we call the, the soft sciences or the social sciences. For us in engineering, when we talk gravity, we are all agreed what gravity is. But I've learned that with them in the social sciences, when you have a term, you need to define it specifically so that we know what you're talking about. Because these terms, they can come, and we each have associated them with, we each define them differently. Of how, of whatever, the, however we grew up, whatever experiences are, when I say what is peace, all of us in this auditorium and those who are watching online will all define peace differently. So we need to go back to, we need to come to the word of God and say, God, please help us to understand what is peace, what is patience. So that when we are rating ourselves on that scale that I talked about earlier, you know how to rate yourself the right way. Alright. So we, we will start with peace, we'll talk about, then we'll move on to patience, then we'll come to a place of where we are going to see how we apply these in our lives. Let's start with peace. In the Hebrew, and it's going to come up on the screen, Peace has two definitions in the Bible. There's the Hebrew, then there's the Greek. In the Hebrew, the word peace is translated shalom. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. And according to Strong's Concordance, it means completeness, soundness, and welfare. It comes from the root word shalom, which means to make amends or to make whole or complete. So when we are at peace, it, 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 when we are in biblical peace, it means that we are, it's more than just uh, the absence of conflict or a state of rest. It means wholeness. It means completeness. And we, we get an example of this in Genesis chapter 15, verse 15, where God is speaking to Abraham. He says, you, Abraham, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. So he's saying that, Abraham, when I come and I take your life and you come dwell with me permanently, your legacy will be complete. Your legacy will be whole. There will be nothing that I had planned for you that you would have not completed. 
So this, this, this word uh, peace, it means when you're talking about shalom or shalom, it means a state of complete, of wholeness or completeness without any deficiency or lack. Shalom is frequently used in the Old Testament in reference to the wellness of others. Sometimes it's translated as well, wealth, well-being or welfare. The next, uh, the, next, uh, the next definition of peace comes from the Greek. And this is primarily how it is used in the, in the, in the New Testament. In the Greek, this word, the word for peace is the word irony. And according to Strong's Concordance, it means one, quietness and rest. And it originates from the root word ero, which means to join or to tie together into a whole. So, from these two definitions, we get to see that peace is wholeness. So, if something is broken, let's say, for example, you, God forbid, you break your bone in one of your, in your arm, for example, that arm is, that, that bone is not whole. So, there's lack of peace in that bone. But when a chiropractor comes in, and says that bone straight and that bone heals, it means that that bone is now a whole. Therefore, your arm is now at peace. It's now whole. Mfuzi, welcome. How are you? Mfuzi is one of our, is one of our members who's now in Botswana and he's a chiropractor of note. I just saw him sneak in earlier, so I just wanted to make him blush a little. So, peace is wholeness. And the Bible talks about three aspects of peace in our lives. The first one is peace with God. You know, when we get born again, our relationship with God, which was broken, gets put back together. So salvation is God bringing peace between us and himself. That's why in Romans uh, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through, uh, through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The second aspect of peace is peace with ourselves. Jesus is our peace within. When Adam and Eve sinned, they broke communion with God. And one of the, one of the aspects of their life that was uh, then messed up was the fact that wholeness in their soul was no longer there. All of a sudden, anxiety entered their lives. All of a sudden, rebelliousness entered their lives. All of a sudden, Anger and all these other negative emotions that we talked about entered their lives. In fact, when you're looking at the works of the flesh, it's because we are not whole in our souls. So Jesus is our peace within. 
all the way from depression on the one scale to ADHD or workaholism on the other, Jesus is our peace within. So if we are at those extremes, we have to ask ourselves an area. Please can you store, restore peace within? The third aspect of it is that peace is peace with others. Jesus is our peace with others. Jesus not only comes to restore our relationship with him, he not only comes to restore our relationship within, he also comes to restore our relationship without, between us. Politicians can try all they want to solve the issue of peace in this nation, in the world, and in the continent. They will fail. Because unless Jesus is the center of that peace process, it's going to come to ruin. It will fail. So the responsibility for us as Christians is that we need to get to a place where we are at peace with God, we are at peace with ourselves, so that we can be the peace in the world out there. Please hear me. We do not have to be perfect. We just need to be growing in these areas. So if you're going to resolve, uh, sort out the issue of, of racism in this country, between the different races, we need to make sure, one, that we are saved. Number two, we need to make sure that God is working in us. So we take responsibility for our lives. And then number three, God will come and help us to bring peace to the different areas of our lives. If, as a black man, I'm not aware of the culture and the home that I grew up in and the prejudices that I'm predisposed to, how am I going to come to a person of a different race and try and understand them? There's that, um, that scripture where Jesus is saying, before you go to your neighbor and try and take out the speck from their eye, look at your own life and take out the log out of your eye and therefore you can then go and help your neighbor with their speck. So if we are going to solve the issue of racism, I know in, the, in this country we, we do it funny. We blame the white people for all our issues. And then we say, but I have no responsibility in this. We define racism in such a narrow way that then it absolves us of responsibility for resolving the issue. We say now it's, it's a white issue. Think of it. Apartheid happened. It stacked people in a particular way. It says white on top, black at the bottom. More than that, it says that 
the races, because they are different, they don't even need to mix. Who was behind apartheid? Who was behind apartheid? It was Satan. He just used a particular race group to advance his kingdom. In fact, now in this country we are seeing where it's shifted from that extreme to the other extreme. Where if you are white in this country, you don't have an opinion. All you, all you are is that you are privileged. Therefore, what can you tell us? What opinion can you have? So what is Satan doing? He said, no, I don't care who's leading this particular uh, rebellious state. As long as I have somebody to lead it, I'm going to use them. As long as I have somebody to lead it, I'm going to use them. So the politicians, unfortunately, do not have the solutions. Us here have the solution. And when I say us, I'm not saying that I can go out and solve it. Without Christ, it's impossible. Because Christ brings me to a place where I say, God, what are my prejudices? What are my hurts from the past that I've now used as a weapon against somebody else? So if you're going to resolve it and bring peace and bring wholeness, where it's not a matter of your skin color or your race or your gender or your ethnicity or your state of whether you are rich or poor, whatever the case may be, God fully. But God, please help me to understand what is wrong with me. So that when I go to establish peace with somebody else, I'm at a place where I come with humility. Not with arrogance. Because I like, if God, you did this to work me through this, please help me to be patient to guide somebody else to walk through the same process that you walked me in. And before we go and look at how to apply um, peace to our lives or to our relationships, we also need to define its twin characteristic, patience. These two go hand in hand. They hang together. So what is patience? We're going to look at two definitions from the Greek as uh, patience is used, especially in the, in, the Old, in the New Testament. Sorry. The first one is is called macrothumia. And we get it from the, the parable of the, of the unmerciful servant in Matthew chapter 18, verse 26. And I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It says, But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Makrothumia comes from two root words in the Greek, makros and thumos. Makros means long, and thumos can, be, uh, can mean passion, 
anger or temper. So literally, macrothymia means long, long passion or long temper. It means a person who can bang for a long time. So it means when somebody is patient, it means that they can endure other people without giving in to anger. It is the opposite of short-tempered. And we get an example of this from the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. In every, in every, every letter that he writes to the different churches, you, 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 you get his exasperation coming through. Like, I taught you this. Why should I go back and reteach you the same thing? But what he's doing is that instead of just responding in anger, He responds with patience. He says, I taught you this. It exasperates me that you are doing this, but at the end I need to bring you to a place where we need, I need to reteach you this thing again. So that's what, that's what patience is. The second definition of patience is hupomeno. The Greek. It comes from the root word hupo which means under, and the second part of it is meno, which, which means to remain or to endure. So it is literally translated as endurance, steadfastness, or perseverance. It is the quality of enduring or remaining under challenges and difficult circumstances. The patriarch Job is a classic example of this type of patience, where the circumstances were arraigned against him and he didn't give up. He didn't give in. Remember where his wife says, Job, you are suffering. You have sores all over your place, all over your body. You are in perpetual pain. Why don't you just curse God and die? And then he said, no, I'm not going to do that. In fact, what I'm going to do, I'm going to take my case and bring it before God. Because only he can answer me. So last week when we were, when we were um, clapping and we gave the Joshua's a standing ovation, it was because we are recognizing that it takes patience to build a marriage of 35 years. <laughs> it, takes, it takes patience. So, you, so we need to get into a place where we, where, where we look at, where we, where we grow in this. The perfect example, obviously, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Where we, in terms of macrothemia or long-suffering, or patience with people, it's with his disciples. Where he would teach them a lesson, tomorrow they've forgotten it. And then he says, should I teach it to you again? Or when it comes to law, or when it comes to suffering or endurance, how he suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you have ever watched the Passion of the Christ, you will see how that suffering was expressed in that movie. 
where he said, God, this cup is not for, if this cup is not for me, take it away from me. But if it is, let me go through it. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at how to apply peace and patience in our lives. Because when you look at, 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 at peace and patience, this is how they are defined in the, in the, in the, in Galatians. Wherefore, patience, it uses macrothumia, which is to be patient with others. When it talks about peace, we are looking at peace and how it's used in the Greek. Which is the, the term irony. How to make whole. So now we're going to be looking at how do we cultivate these uh, characteristics? How do we grow in them? And how do we maintain them? How do we grow? Not how do we get them. Because remember at the beginning I said that the Holy Spirit has already deposited these fruits in our lives in seed form. Our responsibility is how do I grow in this fruit? So we'll start with peace and then we will end it off with uh, patience. But before we go there, I just want to bring an aspect that will help us to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. And it's a term that some of us are familiar with, some of us are partially familiar with, some of us it might be a new term altogether. That term is accountability. You've heard it so many times from the, from the pulpit where we need to be accountable, we need to be accountable. But what is accountability? I'll take, I'll take uh, the definition from both my mom and my mother-in-law. I was sitting with my mom one time when I was back home and she goes like, she drops this nuggets from time to time when I'm just listening to her. And she goes like, she's, she's Sutu, like I am, so for the Sutus you'll understand. She goes like, Ntlibiwe Wanak, as in Ntlibiwe, my son. I have different levels of friendships. There's friends that I go to Ubumnandi with, and we have a good time. There are friends that I talk um, certain aspects of life with. Like the, I have a friend who will talk about you kids and their kids and all of that. Then she goes like, but there's this friend of mine who will talk about everything. Nothing is hidden. Everything in my life, she knows everything in my life, they know. What my mother was, without knowing, was describing that last part of what accountability is. Accountability is having a friend or a group of friends that you walk with that know everything that is going on in your life. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the horrible. And they love you still. And they accept you still. 
My mom-in-law put it in a, in a different way. She says, uh, she was talking about, she was introducing, we had a party, uh, at her party, we were celebrating one of her birthdays. Whoa, whoa, what are you doing? What is happening? But in order to be able to, to, to get that place, it means that we need to be teachable. If, if Pastor Wayne says, um, what's going on in your marriage? I didn't mean like, hey, what are you talking about? And be defensive and have my back up. I need to be saying, okay, Fundus, what are you talking about? And then we air out the issue. And the reason I emphasize, like again, the reason I emphasize accountability is that there's no way we're going to grow in the fruits of the Spirit and godly character without people that can speak into our lives. It's nigh impossible. So as now we, we come to, to bring it to a close, let's look at a... Um, please open with me to Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 17. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 17. Excuse me. It reads as follows. If your brother or sister sins... Go point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to even the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Huh? This was Jesus speaking. Primarily, this scripture applied was applied to church discipline. Where it says that if any of us see us sinning, see the other sinning, it's our responsibility to go gently to say, Hey, are you aware that you are doing this? Please can you explain yourself? So it means that, and it applies to all of us, not a matter of function within the church. It applies to us as believers. But today we're going to be applying it to how to make peace with each other. So we're going to look at four key, key principles that we can apply. And they are going to come up on the screen. The first one is that if your brother or your sister has offended you. Because remember, when you talk about peace, we said it's bringing back into unity. And when offense happens, it means that there's a break in the relationship. So how do we set the relationship back? So there are four principles that I would like us to just look at. The first one is that we need to be intentional. In Matthew 5.23, there's a parallel scripture to this. It says that if you are taking your gift to the altar and remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, leave the gift there and go, be, go resolve the issue with your brother or your sister. So the first point that we need to look at is the fact that we need to be intentional in dealing with offenses in our lives and between each other. 
The scripture says, in, in, in Matthew says, go. Go is an intentional action. Somebody has offended me. I need to go and say, you know what? I'm not happy with one, two, three. And then we air it out. Most of the time, if that happens, we'll resolve the, we'll resolve the issue. And then life goes on, peace has been reestablished. But the Bible says that if, in trying to resolve the issue, you don't, you come to the disagreement, it takes us to the second point, which says that we need to get help. This is where the Bible says that, this is where the scripture is saying, if he will not listen, take one or two others along. If the issue is not resolved, it means that you need to bring in referees. Where if, for example, Sobs and I walk together, if there's something that we're in disagreement with, we can bring in Pastor Wayne and say, Pastor Wayne, we are in disagreement on this one. Please can you help us to resolve this issue? The key requirement on the referee is that the, key, the referee has to be impartial. Which then says that, again, it goes to the point that I was making that we need to be growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Because if the referee is impartial, they'll help us to get to a point where we can resolve our issue. But the third point is that if that, is not, if that does not happen, then we need to come to a place where we can say, it's not happening, let's bring in the elders. This is the part where he says that, bring it to the church. And then finally it says that, if the, elder, if the elders cannot resolve the issue, then you need to let that person go and air out for a while. The one who, who caused the offense. Because it means that they are not willing to take responsibility for what they've done and how they've affected the other party. So now we have a principle, principles that we can apply. We can apply them in our workspaces, we can apply them in our marriages, we can apply them anywhere. All we just have to be careful of, especially with work, is that you need to know the company policy of how to deal with these kinds of things. Because you might bring in the biblical model and say, I'm at co- at loggerheads with, uh, with my co-worker, let me bring in my boss. Yet your boss is not saved and your boss will play bias. So just be careful in how you apply these principles and apply them with wisdom. So finally, the final, the final uh, application is with patience. And I'll use the example of the referee, if you are the referee. If you are the referee and, and it's Pastor Wayne and Sobs and I come and said we are at loggerheads, the first thing that Pastor Wayne needs to do is to be able to listen to both sides of the story. That requires patience. In fact, please turn with me to uh, James chapter 1 verse 19. In fact, it's going to come up on the screen so we can look at it there. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So the referee needs to listen to both sides of the story. That's why uh, James said, be quick to listen. In being quick to listen, it means that we need to be able to get to a place where we don't just reach conclusions quickly. We find out all the facts. 
And then the next, so it means that we need, the first point in, in, in being patient is that whoever we are with, we need to engage them with a desire to understand. Not form an opinion, with a desire to understand. The second point comes from the second part of that scripture which says slow to speak. Slow to speak means that we need to be in control of our emotions. Even the referee, even if the... We're still using the example of Pastor Wayne. If, Wayne, if, if Sobs and I come to him and we say we have this issue, Pastor Wayne needs to listen and he needs to be slow to speak. Slow to speak means that we need to, he needs to think through his response of how he's going to help us solve the issue. It should not matter to him whether yesterday in TV was preaching and he had issues with sobs the day before. It doesn't matter. He needs to listen to the issue at hand and be impartial to it. So it means that he needs to be patient. Because might, it might be that when he listens to the story, he might just want to box the other. And be like, guys, what are you doing? But he needs to be patient. The third point is that he needs to season his response with grace. Because after you listen to the story as a referee, you'll get to the point where you see who is in the wrong. And then now you say, okay, how do you apply grace to these two so that the issue can be resolved? Then the final point is that even in correction, we need to be gracious. This comes from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, where it says, correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. When people bring issues, when you are very free and people bring an issue to their lives, they are at a point of vulnerability. Both the one who offended and both the one who has, been, who, who, has, who has been offended. So when you correct, we need to do so with grace. You don't beat up somebody on the... Yeah, you don't beat somebody up with a rod. But you say, okay, fine, guys. This is where you did wrong and this is where you went wrong. Can you uh, ask for forgiveness from that? Even you, when you're offended... This is how you reacted, which was not in a biblical way. Can you take responsibility for that? So each person then asks for forgiveness and the relationship is mended. Unity is restored. Please may we stand. God wants to bring us to a place of wholeness. And God wants to grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives so that we can express them to the world out there. But to do that and have an impact out there, we need to practice this truth in here. So my prayer is that God will give us the grace to start practicing in here so that we can go have an impact out there. Phyllis. Thanks, Katie. What a great word. That was awesome. Um, so I feel like when he teaches, we are taught. 
<laughs> sure. There is so much there, and I, and I trust you've all got the iConnect, so you can go and have some good discussions on this this week. Um, just a couple of things I want to pray into as Clevy was talking. I know he's focused a lot on, on relational health, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that. Isn't that interesting? When the Bible talks about peace and patience, it's talking about our relationships, a relationship with God, a relationship with ourselves, relationship with others. It's all about relationship, you know. And and uh, when there's peace and and there's patience in our lives, it's it's talking largely about that relational health. Um, that was so powerful, man. Um, the one thing that just I felt the Holy Spirit just put His finger on when Clevi was talking was peace with ourselves. And I just felt just a ding, like the Holy Spirit just wants to touch some people this morning. Like maybe you're not at peace with yourself. Jesus came to be our inner peace. And um, he came to restore us to God, peace with God. That's the most important peace you can ever have. Because there is a war. God is angry at sinners and the angry at sin. And Jesus came to die for our sins so that we could have peace with God. Because that's important. But then there's this internal peace as well. This, this peace that he brings to quieten the storm of, I don't know, whatever it is, depression or ADHD or just something in your soul that's, a, that's not right. And I feel like we just need to just have a moment to pray on that. So, Father, we just come before you this morning as a family. And, Lord, where there's turmoil... And where there's a there's there's like an ocean that's tossed this way by the wind and that way by the wind and and internally there's a mess. If if you feel like internally there's a bit of a mess, just lift your hands to heaven this morning. I just feel like he wants to bring his peace into your heart. Maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's just around your self worth, maybe it's a turmoil just um in your future or where you're going with your life. And Lord, I just pray for all these people with their hands raised this morning. Lord, I just ask for your peace, that supernatural peace. You said in the world, we'll have tribulation, we'll have trial, we'll have distress, we'll have frustration, but in me, you will have peace. And so Lord, I just speak peace of every soul here, Lord. Peace, the peace of Christ, which transcends understanding May it guard your heart and mind in Jesus Christ. May it come upon you now and refresh you and help you. In Jesus' name we pray. The second aspect I just want to pray into this morning is this peace with others. When there's a relationship that's wrong in your life, oh, man, we're messed up, eh? (laughs) eh? And if you're there today, if there's just a strain, if there's some relational dysfunction or a relationship that's gone bad or wrong or in some way. We I just want to pray over that right now. Father, we just you've called a challenge of peace over all these circumstances here, Lord God, where we are not right with others, Lord. I pray that we would be intentional today and go to our brother or our sister, Lord. Go to our mother or our father. Go to our to our family, go to our friends, Lord, that we would be intentional, that we would be the first people to respond, Lord. I pray for strength in that. I pray for courage in that. 
I pray, Father God, that you would make us courageous people, Lord God. That we'd, we wouldn't retreat with our hurts and, and hide them or hide away, but that we would be bold and we would obey your word and go forward, Lord. And go to those places and have difficult conversations and do them with love and do them with honor and do them with humility and be quick to listen and slow to speak. That we would seek to understand before we understood, Lord God. So I pray peace over our relationships this morning. Lord, we want to walk in the wholeness that you have for us, that you purchased for us at the cross. And so I ask this morning that you would come and help us all to enter into that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you again, Dr. Klebe. That was an amazing word. Um, Good news, we got some tea and coffee this morning, so join us afterwards in the Cafe Church. If you're online, you can't have any tea and coffee with us, but you can at home. <laughs> Hope you have an amazing week ahead, church. May God bless you, may He keep you, may He make His face to shine upon you, may He lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining Church Online today. We hope that you were inspired and challenged by today's message. We would like to encourage you to join one of our connect groups where you can make friends and discuss the word further. You can message us on 072-606-6747 to join a connect group or to send us any prayer needs you might have. To give your tithes and offering, please visit our website www.endurban.org to get our bank details and zapper code. Have a safe and blessed week.